Hey there, I'm Matthew Foley and this is ISO Insights, where God's truth grows in the midst of current culture, renewing the mind and spirit. Welcome back to ISO Insights. We have again here today, Brother S.J. Newell, uh, and we're going to be hopping on some subjects. Thank you so much for coming back on to ISO Insights, sir. Thanks. Yeah, and we're going to be hopping on to some subjects here. I wanted to go ahead and go into this one about the New Apostolic Reformation. What in the world does that mean? I don't even know. You don't even know? <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that's the truth is, is I feel like, and this happens with pretty much any type of label, um, but some of them like NAR and, and Word of Faith, I mean, you could ask, 10 different Christians and they'd give you, well, if they even knew mm. what it was, I, I feel like it's a big thing online, but I don't think like the average Christian knows yeah. or thinks or cares anything about it. Um, and that's one thing I, I feel like we need to learn as believers is there's a stark difference between the world online and the mm. real world. And, um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like there's, it's just one of those terms where you're just going to get different answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the average person going online is going to see like Heidi Baker, Bill Johnson, Todd White, all like part of this conspiratorial movement called NAR. Yeah. 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 And I, um, it's something I just don't feel the need to define, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's just, let's talk about specifics. You know, that's how I think about it. I, yeah. I feel like when you try too hard to define to label a movement or a group, the the potential for error mm. is is much greater. And I see that a lot. I'm a lot more familiar with that when it comes to word of faith. Like people calling all kinds of stuff word of faith, and yet I'm I'm being told that I'm an authority on word of faith. And half the stuff I hear described and um, you know as word of faith, it doesn't. I don't even know. Like half the time, the stuff that Justin Peters talks about, I don't know if you're familiar with Justin yeah, Peters. Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it's completely foreign to me. Like, what? Um, I guess maybe you could find somebody somewhere who said something one time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, but so I, I'm more of a person who is like, you know, why take so much time to define it when we could just talk about the specifics and ask individuals, what mm-hmm. do you believe about this topic, this topic, this topic? That's kind of the angle that I come at it from. Mm. Well, one thing, um, when you, we talk about Justin Peters, for instance, he's uh, loves John MacArthur, a big part of that camp, Reformed cessationist, like Reformed Baptist. He comes and finds specific statements, uh, lines from books often. Of a big one is, uh, for instance, Joel Osteen. And we'll pick that and then make a claim about Joel Osteen or make a very strong claim like Joel Osteen never mentions Jesus once in a book where he explicitly mentions Jesus multiple times. <laughs> so things like that that are very bizarre statements, which would mean somebody never really even took the time to honestly go through the person they're opposing's work. But yeah. what's interesting to me is, because you can look at that, if you're a part of those movements, you grew up in that movement and you hear that, you're probably not going to ever jump ship, so it's safe that you're just going to believe what your leaders tend to tell you, the people you respect. But one specific circumstance that's pretty shocking to me is that of Benny Hinn's nephew, Costi Hinn. One of the big reasons why I dive into this is not just to make waves, but for somebody who uh, is charismatic, 
still is charismatic, Pentecostal as an adult, hasn't left the movement, and yet has watched the videos of cessationists and reformed people and people that are anti. The reason I, I put to talk about that group in particular is because of how anti-Pentecostal some of the sentiments can be. Yeah. When you're a young charismatic believer and you are hungering to get deeper in the word and you find that the only resources, this is why I love you and Brother Rod's channel, Rod Saunders, is because when you're looking for resources and all you find is, let's just say, John MacArthur or Benny Hinn's nephew, who's come out pro that reformed view, pro that movement against charismatics, you get really confused because, you know, most Pentecostals, we really live by testimony and what others' experiences and stories are with the Lord. So how do you reconcile someone's experience like Costi Hinn's? Uh, well, for starters, I think that just to kind of go back to something that you were saying, um, th this is why, you know, charismatics, they don't like to be confrontational and they don't want to cause division. It's very important to us to keep unity. Mm. Uh, whereas the other side will be like, oh, you know, you can't have unity at the expense of truth. <laughs> yeah, you're like, a heretic. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so then what's interesting about that is they're more concerned about error mm -hmm. um, and doctrine. We're more concerned about error and division. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, God's, yeah, God's just going to work that out. And, you know, the, I, the body of Christ, it functions like a body. So the nose, it's all about smelling. It mm -hmm. only cares about smelling. It doesn't care about seeing. And mm -hmm. the eyes probably crit criticize the nose for not ever seeing anything. Mm -hmm. And the nose criticize the eyes for not ever smelling anything. But we're, we're all part of the body. I feel like it's all needed in its proper place, as long as it's not extremes and things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as far as Kostihan and those type of experiences go, um, I have, I haven't, I've, I've listened to Kosti talk about that a little bit. Um, as far as, well, first of all, Kosti talks about Benny Han being uh, all kinds of flaws that he had and how mm. he's concerned about money and things of that nature. Okay, well, Benny Han admitted to that himself, so mm -hmm. I don't feel like that's a, a conflict of testimonies there. Um, Costi talks about the false doctrine, false doctrine that Benny teaches. Um, of course he does, because we all feel like, you know, we all have disagreements in the body of Christ. So really the only issue that I'm kind of like, I don't know really what to think is as far as the healings go. But I haven't really heard, and maybe you can tell me, maybe you have heard, but I haven't really heard Kosti talk too much about the healings being fake. Now, he'll mm -hmm. say that they, I, I believe he thinks they're fake, but I've yeah. never really heard him give reasons for why. Mm -hmm. um, I did watch one short clip where he talked about um, all the wheelchairs looked the same or something on the stage. I don't know. It seemed very circumstantial and very open to interpretation. Um, so, I mean... Testimonies, like you said, um, you know, they, they mean a lot to Pentecostals. And that's the thing with a guy like Benny Hinn. I mean, if we're talking specifics, is like I, I feel like most of us know somebody or are somebody who has been healed at mm. a Benny Hinn meet. So it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to believe Costi Hen, or are you going to believe, you know, your personal experience with it? Yeah. And um, so I, I think Costi suspects that the healings are fake. Um, I don't know. I'd like to talk to him about it, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect that he suspects they're fake, but he doesn't 
I think that that stems more from his disagreements theologically with Benny than it does anything that he's actually seen. And it's pretty amazing. I, I know you kind of, you're just using this as, as an example for a bigger topic, but specifically on Benny Hen, it's pretty amazing that, you know, Benny Hen's been around since like what, like the early 90s, so almost, mm-hmm. I guess, over 30 years. Yeah. And you really haven't ever heard anybody come out and be like, oh, they paid me to pretend like I was in a wheelchair and I got out. Like, in this day and age, when everything's on YouTube, yeah, the fact documented. that that's not really happening, yeah, mm-hmm. um, I feel like it speaks pretty good to the fact that this is some legitimate stuff going on there. Now, obviously, I don't think it's all legitimate. I think sometimes people thought they were healed and they weren't, and you know, that's a whole mm-hmm. other topic. But um, yeah. hopefully, it answers that. Well, it's it's amazing that he, when he talks about it, see, when I've heard him, he doesn't dive into trying to claim a ton about what happened as far as the miraculous. I do think you're right. It's more like a broad brush because that's how people within the reformed church often talk about charismatic services of healing. It's often like this broad brush of, well, that's not how things work today. That's not what the Bible describes or a lot of people are faking or just emotionally in kind of a state of delusion. And they never really want to go into the nitty gritty details of what about this person's story or that person's. I do think right. um, it sounds like Costi Hinn, uh, he went to Baptist Bible colleges. His family sent him there and met his wife at one. And they had a lending, they, they, she leaned to that culture and he got friends in that culture and probably found a comfortable place in it, which to me, there was one story I remember, and I'm not just trying to beat up on him, <laughs> but I think it's an amazing example because I don't just see it in his life. I've seen this before in other people in the charismatic church. He talked about how he brought his girlfriend, then now wife to a, one of his uncle's services And they went up to the altar, and I believe they were praying for her to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they were laying hands, and Benny had laid hands on her, and she, he basically talked about that it was a very kind of creepy, uncomfortable situation, not like a predatory situation, but spiritually, like the atmosphere was was unsettling, which hints towards this idea that either the showmanship, this idea of, okay, there's showmanship and the devil's creeping in there, or even worse, like the works, and if there is something spiritual going on, it's something evil, which I thought was pretty strong. Like, that's a strong statement to say as a family member. But what's interesting, and I just want to hear what your thoughts on this are. God, when I've experienced what I know, what I'm very confident is the presence of the Lord, and God can be very comforting. You can feel the peace of God or the love of God, but there are times when the fear of God manifests, and it's not a comfortable situation. Now, is it that we're human beings, and we have a physical body, and when God's presence comes in, or when something otherworldly and spiritual period happens, it can be kind of unsettling? Or is it, in other words, is it just because it's another spiritual realm we're dealing with here, and we just, as humans, have a reaction to that, like humans have a reaction to the angelic, or even on Mount Sinai, uh, that when the people saw God, it says their knees were physically hitting each other because they were shaking and trembling with fear. Is that the fear of God, or is that just an encounter with the supernatural? What, what is your take on that? Do you have thoughts on it? That's interesting. Um, I, 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 because I kind of feel like I've felt that way before. I mean, 
you know, being like just weird. Back to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> going back to what we had talked about in the previous episode, uh, growing up in that atmosphere, even being somebody who was raised in that atmosphere, you, I would still encounter certain situations, and it did seem weird. And because mm-hmm. of that, that, um, so again, though, that doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, it doesn't yeah. mean God's not working in that, but. Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult to answer that because it it could be different for every situation. I could see how, um, you know, maybe Benny Hen was being Benny Hen in that yeah, situation. Dramatic you know? had a dramatic flavor yeah, to a him. Dramatic, a little bizarre. So that, <laughs> yeah. So whatever kind of comes to the surface the most to you, you tend to think that that's what it is. Whereas yeah. it could be more than one thing. You know, it could be. You know the the antics of Benny Hinn and God moving at the same time, yeah. yeah. Um, and then so you just feel weird about it, and you might just again though that goes back to the whole emotional question. It's like, am I going to allow my emotions to control the situation, mm-hmm. or I mean, the Bible talks about people being filled with the Holy Ghost. It talks about people speaking in tongues. So it's a biblical thing. Uh, which am I going to allow to kind of influence the situation and and have the, the biggest impression on me? But there's no doubt that there's weird stuff that happens um, and you get weird feelings. And sometimes I think we're just not used to um, operating in supernatural things. So wow. yeah. it feels foreign to us and weird, you know, or mm-hmm. however I describe it. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but um, one time did a study on Second Corinthians. And in Second Corinthians 14, and I think even in chapter 12, but I know it's in 14 for sure. Paul, there's a section he's talking about tongues and prophecy. And in the midst of talking about that, he talks about people that you should not be overbearing with tongues around uh, near later in chapter 14. And he mentions the phrase, you know, you want to be careful in just speaking in tongues, everybody speaking in tongues together whenever there's an unbeliever or, and the word in Greek is it, it, idiotes, which is, you know, where we get the word idiot, but that doesn't mean that in Greek. In Greek, a lot of people will translate it to unlearned or uh, ungifted even. And the whole idea seems to be there is a a group of believers, even in that time period, that haven't Mm -hmm. been, and, and the word refers to someone who's unsocialized to a specific type of culture. Uh, or even yeah. military culture, and they're unlearned about it. To me, that sounds pretty much like a believer who hasn't really experienced supernatural gifts or the charismatic gifts. And they've come yeah. into the church, they believe in Jesus. Paul actually says, just like an unbeliever would be uncomfortable and would be overwhelmed, that person could be overwhelmed if everybody just starts speaking in tongues. And he says, you got to yeah. consider that person. I think that was a similar circumstance uh, to yeah. Costi's wife. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that passage too, where Paul's talking about that is, um, I mean, even if you were as a cessationist, try to argue that the tongues today are fake, Mm -hmm. you obviously believe that they were real back then. Um, so what's interesting about that is they're speaking in tongues by the Holy spirit and yet Paul is telling them not to do it. Mm -hmm. So that shows you, and this is something where, you know, maybe a taboo word nowadays, nuance comes in, which is that maybe both things are true. Maybe God is in that situation, but maybe it needs to be restrained a little bit too. Those two things can coexist. And, um, 
that's what I kind of feel like we lack sometimes. Uh, the critics sometimes lack is mm-hmm. it's like it's either all or nothing. Either God's right in the middle of it and he's a hundred percent involved, or uh, it's of the devil and it's mm-hmm. chaos and whatever else. And it's like, well, maybe it's a little both. You yeah. know, I mean, like, uh, I mean, we're all growing. We're all in different stages. There's a lot of. Somebody asked me why I. F- why it seemed like so much crazy excess stuff happens in charismatic circles. This is kind of off topic, but go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, I feel like part of it, um, and I'm, I want to be respectful here to this. I feel like charismatic churches tend to attract people who, um, are maybe a little like mentally handicapped. Mm. And the reason why is because they see people acting outwardly, certain behaviors that they themselves might mimic. And mm. so it almost like they, they might see somebody dancing in the spirit and they think that that person's like them. So then they're restrained, like who exactly. doesn't pick up on social cues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so uh-huh. I, I kind of think that stuff like that's going on. So we bring that in because we're very welcoming. And then mm-hmm. of course you don't want to, as a pastor or a leader, you don't want to go around picking and choosing like you can't dance cause that's not right. And you can't speak. <laughs> you're just faking it so we're kind of like okay let's just let people all do this Mm -hmm. and let god sort it out you know yeah it's just like how do you handle that it's it's uh it's a difficult topic you know you know know what's what's crazy to me though about that that you say that that sounds so strong to a lot of people it's like what mentally handicapped what but i don't think that's on it's not unfair because a lot of charismatics do just have this mindset of, well, the Holy Spirit's just going to sort it out. But that is chaotic because Paul yeah. doesn't do that and the apostles don't do that. But people are afraid that if they do, if leadership does step out, well, even if they believe that God doesn't work that way and that they do have authority, they're afraid a lot of their people are going to be offended for feeling restricted or shut down. But some ministers and, and leaders really are afraid of ho- shutting down the Holy Spirit because of how they've been taught. But I think it's yeah. interesting when you mention that, that uh, a lot of people, first of all, my grandparents were Pentecostal. They were back in the day when it was not popular to be Pentecostal, like you got made fun of and people did not treat you nicely. But they, the people in that movement, older people that are still around from the early days of Pentecostalism, they didn't have this kind of idea of, well, just anybody can act wild in the church and we're just going to assume it's spiritual. Like if your life wasn't put together or you didn't run your house well, or you didn't have just like the semblance of order that a normal person would, they would be like, nah, that person is just trip. You know, they're just like, <laughs> they're just being weird <laughs> because they knew uh, that you had to have credibility to be te- for your spiritual claims to be taken seriously. And that's, I think that's still in the New Testament. Thank you so much for watching ISO Insights, ISO Bible College's podcast. And I wanted to let you know about something that we offer, making it easy for you to see the rest of the courses that we have sampled in our videos here on our YouTube channel. You can use our All Access Pass, which you can find more about both in the description below and at isow.org, our website. By using the All Access Pass subscription, $99 a month, will get you full access to all of our course catalogs. So please do go over and check out our all-access pass at iso.org. 
in uh, 2 Timothy talks about people coming into leadership. He says, if you're going to be called to leadership in the church, a deacon or a bishop, you have to have your house in order. You have to be married to one wife. In other words, he says, you have to look at that person's life and see concrete indications that they are of a sound mind, that they know how to run an ordered household, that their children are respectable. And that that should weed out a lot of the craziness, you know. Does, am I making yeah. sense there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that that is interesting. I, I do feel like, and maybe because it was back then, like you're saying, it wasn't popular, so you had to. They were already courageous, you mm-hmm. know, because they were going that <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. So it it wasn't as hard for them to be like, hey, you know, shut that down. And mm-hmm. I have seen that to an extent in churches um, where somebody's acting a certain way and the leadership's like okay we're gonna draw the line here you need to you know um you can't punch people in the face i'm sorry smith wigglesworth did it but they got healed you can't just do it because you know that's that's not how that works (laughs) yeah (laughs) they didn't have a demon they had indigestion calm down you know (laughs) yeah yeah totally it's so um but yeah it is difficult to sort through um and, you know, Paul said, let, you know, let it all be done in decency and order. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really, it, it, it's just like a, a case by case thing, you know, you yeah. have to look at it and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And like you said, um, you know, what type of person is this, you know, if, I mean, I've heard of people who are like, you know, new age and witches and stuff. Sometimes they'll get into the services and start acting that way right alongside mm-hmm. the believers. Mm-hmm. Things like that. You got to be discerning, you know, and shut it down. Yeah, I, and I think the the bottom line. Whenever I saw crazy stuff happen as a young Pentecostal or charismatic kid, and it made me feel uncomfortable, I could later I could take comfort because I would later, you know, have an experience with the Lord that I felt was really real and impactful. And I assume you did too. And anyone who's still in that movement had an experience with the Lord that felt genuine. What kept me were statements about discernment, like in 1 John 4, where it says you're supposed to weigh everything. And in, was it 1 Corinthians 11 or 12, where Paul talks about, you know, you can't curse the name of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, but you also can't bless the name of Jesus and call him Lord and and not have the Holy Spirit. And the biggest one, though, and this is something I'm going to hop on here. I want to see what you think about this. I think this is a big deal because I used to go to this one. In, it's in Mark and Matthew. I think it's reduced in Luke, but I know Matthew has a longer version of it. Jesus, when the Pharisees accused him of casting out demons by the power of demons, his response, of course, is, well, Satan wouldn't cast out Satan. That's stupid because a house divided against itself, you know, like Abraham Lincoln's quote from it. <laughs> you can't have a house that's divided against itself. It's going to collapse. So he then, so I took comfort from this idea. Okay, well, I know from the fruit that's being produced, Satan doesn't cast himself out. So I can see where people's lives, they're feeling the love of God. They're giving their lives to Jesus. Satan doesn't do that. That's opposite to his goals. And people are literally having demons cast out. So the the general movement, according to Jesus' own words, has to be under his authority, has to be from him. What I think's interesting, though, is what he talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And this is a very serious topic. I just want to say that because a lot of people can be hit with strong anxiety. I was because they think, oh, well, if I just, if I say the wrong thing or say something mistaken about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to hell. But 
when Jesus talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it's immediately after he mentions how the Pharisees were accusing what he was, the works that he was doing as being attributed to the devil. They were saying, this is by the power of demons. Jesus' response is, you know, any word of offense spoken against the Son of Man is forgiven, but when it's spoken against the Holy Spirit, it won't be forgiven in this age or the next. There are a lot of people that I've heard, even as a kid until now, who will say, well, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is really when you persist in not believing the gospel. Because I, I wonder why they say that. Because I think that it's true that if you don't believe the gospel, of course you can't be saved. But Jesus said you can blaspheme the Son of Man and be forgiven, but not the Holy Spirit. What do you think, what do you, what do you think is going on there? I mean, are other people just, is that because they're afraid of charismatics using that scripture in a very literal way against people that come against their movement? Are they just afraid of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What's going on there? Well, I've heard that explanation also given by charismatics that it's like a rejection mm. of Christ and mm -hmm. things. Um, this is where I kind of reach the limits of uh, my knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, all I can say is similar to what you had said, which is the context of the passage is that they were ascribing, uh, you know, the work of God to mm -hmm. the devil. Um. So that's the context. It's strange to me, the explanations where they're like, oh, it's rejecting the gospel, which, by the way, I've always wondered about that because like some people would be like, it's continually rejecting the gospel. Others will be like, well, it just means like they don't believe on Jesus. OK, so if you don't believe on Jesus, you can never be forgiven. So even if you started believing on Jesus, you'll never be forgiven. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Cause, yeah, because. And this people is, can reject the gospel their whole life and then get saved right at the end of their life. But mm -hmm. because they reject it their whole life, does that count? It's, I don't know, it's just a yeah. weird thing. So, no, I don't think that that's what that's referring to. Um, I'm speculating here, but I I feel like it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. You know, that it is just saying that something that God did, you're saying it was, uh, specifically the Holy Spirit did, you're saying it, it was the devil. And... Mm -hmm. um, as far as being forgiven, though, um, I don't know. I, I'd like yeah. to, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think when I've thought about it, because I do know when people hear this, they're like, let's just say somebody was a cessationist, but they became a charismatic and they hear it for the first time. And they're like, oh, my word, I, I believed that that was of the devil. All the stuff was of the devil. Am I doomed? Well, Paul was in a similar circumstance where he blasphemed Jesus. And I assume he probably was in the groups of Pharisees who said that what Jesus was doing was witchcraft or of the devil. And there are some Jewish leaders that claim that based off of the Talmud, that Jesus was involved in witchcraft to this day. But Paul, coming from that background and circumstance, still got saved. In fact, he said that God, he talks about it almost like God forced him, like he, the gospel, God gripped him and made him a minister of the gospel of the Gentiles. So I don't think just because someone ignorantly makes a claim, uh, not knowing the truth of the gospel, but being told something about the works of God as being from the devil, I think well, it's pretty clear that God forgave Paul in that situation. But to me, it seems almost that those who have the knowledge, enough knowledge to be able to figure out, hey, this could be God and we don't need to condemn it so quickly and especially don't need to call it of the devil. But some people do that just pure out of jealousy. Like Jesus, 
he, uh, the Pharisees clearly were motivated by jealousy because of his success in ministry. So I'm really, I don't want anybody to be in a dangerous situation with the Lord, but I do think that in the coming years, as charismatics grow in conversation with parts of the reformed movement, there's got to be an understanding to where the baby's not thrown out with the bathwater for both sides. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater for reformed people. I don't want them to do the same for the charismatic movement. Do you see um, any indications of hope? Like I mentioned, um, Brother Francis Chan, who comes out of reformed Baptist groups, and he has really embraced a lot of charismatic people like IHOP and Mike Bickle. Do you see some hope coming up for people meeting and finding common ground? Yeah, I do. And I would like to think that I am, uh, I will play a part in that, even mm-hmm. if it's a small part. Um, just like when I was recalling my experience as a younger believer, I felt like there was very few resources um, for some of the craziness that I was seeing and um, explanations and, and the criticisms. So I, I feel like with the age of technology and that we live now with the internet, you're going to see more of these conversations happening. Mm. Before, it was very one-sided. Um, like in the 80s, 90s, um, the cessationist type people and reform people, they kind of hopped on the internet first yeah. and then they just yeah. like completely like plastered it with all this negativity. Uh, but I think you're seeing over time with with um, with different ministries. I think Remnant Radio does a good job of of bringing that those conversations forward. Even Mike Winger, even though a lot of times he kind of comes down on on, on charismatics, mm-hmm. um, I feel like the majority of Christians are like, yeah, this ne- this conversation needs to happen, and there is more to it. Yeah. Now, right now, it's really popular to attack the prosperity gospel, quote unquote. Uh, and that's like the whole counterculture movement. It's like anti-prosperity mm. gospel. Um, but I see an end to that at a certain point. And I feel like people, like you were saying with the whole, you know, um, that saying, don't throw the the baby out with bathwater. You know, it's it's uh, it's a common saying because people commonly do it, mm. you know. And so um, I think we're going to wise up to that over time. I think some of the unbiblical stuff in the charismatic movement is going to go away. I think we're already seeing that. In yeah. fact... Um, guys like Andrew Womack um, and like Curry Blake, you listen to them and they criticize charismatics for doing these like, oh, you know, so a hundred dollar seed right now and God's mm. going to give you a special blessing. Like they criticize that stuff. But back in the nineties, like that was kind of like, that was it as far as charismatics, you know, yeah. everybody was all into that. So you see over time that the body of Christ is growing and um, we're becoming uh, the charismatics are becoming more biblical, and and um, and I think we have a lot to learn from the other side, and the other side has a lot to learn from us. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's like that, like that, th- that struggle, you know, the growing pains uh, mm-hmm. of a physical body. In the same way, I think that that's what's going on right now. Well, I think that that's true, and I'd love to see the the type of freedom and openness to the movement of the Holy Spirit go into some of these older church traditions and some of the critical thinking <laughs> and some of the discernment of some of these older, the concerns a lot of these older denominations come into newer charismatic groups so that there would be more balance 
in the way that we conduct worship, not to restrict, but to actually make sure that we're effective, effective as the body of Christ. So I've been very happy. Thank you so much for this interview again, a very productive talk, and thanks for sharing your hot take. Yeah, man, it's been great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to have you back on some more. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in and checking this episode of ISO Insights.